Hello, everybody. Welcome to our podcast, Road to Retail. You're listening to our Founders Series, and I want to welcome today Krista, our guest host for our Founders Series. And uh, we just uh, love that you have joined us, and hopefully you'll find this uh, interview with our good friend and colleague, Laura Meekin, very helpful. And uh, Krista, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, and then we will uh, jump in and interview and introduce uh, Laura. Well, thank you, Tracy, for having me. Hello, everybody. I'm Krista Anderson, founder and CEO of Healthy on the Go, an international natural food brokerage company based in the U.S. and France. Our mission is to help create a preventative healthcare system by making healthy foods accessible and affordable to people across the country. I'm also the author of Claim Your Healing, and I am located in the south of France where I'm trying to live my best life here. <laughs> that is awesome. I did also want to mention that uh, Bruce and I will be back together interviewing some uh, CPG colleagues uh, later on this month. And so we give a shout out to Bruce, And uh, but I want to welcome Laura. So Laura, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We so appreciate it. And I know that you're going to share lots of insights and wisdom uh, with our audience today. So Laura, why don't you just take a little uh, few minutes here and tell our audience a little bit about you and, um, and your brand. Sure. So like Tracy said, my name is Laura Memkin. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called All Clean Food. We sell organic pasta meals and pastas that are plant-based, gluten-free, and free from the top 14 allergens. Uh, before launching All Clean Food, I worked in mental health as a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I care about nutrition, helping people eat well and feel well. And then when I had my children, my first two, I have three, my first two children had a ton of food allergies. And so it started a passion in me to help put things out into the world that are just easy, healthy, quick meals, but also included families like ours that have allergies and sensitivities. That is awesome. Well, um, that is just a, a, you have a great, great story. And uh, I've had the pr privilege of working with you on the brand and wish oh. you best of success. And I know this is a passion of Krista's as well. So um, this is going to be a great, uh, great conversation today. So I love it. So Krista, why don't you uh, kick it off and ask, ask Laura our first question? All right, Laura. So being the CEO of All Clean Food, what is the best advice you'd give to a small and emerging brand starting out? Yeah, you know, it's. I was thinking a lot about this question, um, and it's changed over time. So I think where I'm at now, we're three, almost three and a half years in. And we're in about a thousand retail locations and we're trying to raise for the business. So knowing that my best advice for people starting out would be to consider the path to profitability and really strategize where and when you're going to raise money for the business. What I've learned is that your strategy and the plan to raise for the business might not always come when you think it's going to come. And particularly with the climate being what it is right now, it might be a little bit harder to raise money, especially for food businesses than it has been in the past. So it's good to really look at things like margin, how much are we spending month to month, our bottom line, and, that, and not just at like, how are we going to grow as fast as humanly possible? Um, so that's the advice I would give is just really thinking through how can we actually start to make some gainful profits on this business and keep ourselves afloat as on our own as we're growing. 
Great insight. And I think what I hear you say too, I want to emphasize this, you know, with our with our audiences, understand your costs and your cogs, you know, and know what your margin target is. I you'd be surprised yep. on how many new emerging brands don't know that or they yep. think they know, but they really, they really don't. Like, oh, my profit margin is 50%. Well, did you take into account freight, trade spend, free fill? Yep. I mean, it's a, it's, this is a very expensive business to be in. You thoughts so, on that, Laura? Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. And you're so right because you, you think you only know what you know when you're starting yeah. off and you're like, yeah, we've got a 50% margin. We're looking great. We do have to consider shipping costs. We actually include that in our COGS. Um, I know not all people do, but also there has to be a lot of extra cushion when you're looking into um, getting into retail, especially because there's going to be a lot of costs associated with that when it mm. comes to trade spend, other fees, maybe you had some spoiled product, um, fees to get into a new account, fees to run the promotion, and then the actual cost of running the promotion. So just really understanding not only like what does it actually cost for us to make the product and what does it cost to ship it, but then also all of the other costs along the way. And there's no dumb question. I think in the beginning, I kind of felt like, oh, like I'm embarrassed to ask something like, what's this fee or what does that term mean? You know, a slotting fee, for example, or things like that. I um, kind of felt like I should know these things when what I learned along the way is there's no dumb question. And if I don't understand it, probably other people on my team don't. And sometimes I'll even clarify something. Maybe it's with a buyer or it's with a... Um, like our SRM for the distributor. And sometimes they don't even know like, oh right. yeah, I, I don't know actually what that means. So it's just good to clarify across the board. Like we're working so hard on our brands. What are we actually paying for? And what is our margin after all of that? And then that just really helps you make more informed decisions too about what can we afford to do in terms of promotions? Can we afford to do um, you know, pay for end cap space or do an ad or some of those pieces. And the same is true for e-commerce too, right? And Amazon, anybody on Amazon, same thing. The fees can actually be kind of confusing. You'd think it's just like an Amazon fee, but there's a lot, yeah. there's like a fulfillment fee and the warehouse fee and the referral fee. And I might not be getting the terms right, but um, just be really clarifying like what, what are we actually making? And then what are we spending to make that? And at the end of the day, are we even profitable in this channel or not? And same mm -hmm. thing with just e-commerce. E-commerce, I think website um, was is probably the most simple, but you're really, you have to really look um, carefully at those shipping costs. You know, are, can we even afford to offer a single unit or a two pack or is the shipping too expensive? And then, you know, the customer doesn't want to pay the shipping so just considering all of those different decisions. That's great, great insight. Krista, any thoughts on that? No, not really. I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's all these hidden costs and, you know, you have to add it in and think it through. Is this, like you said, the right channel to be in? That's always the big question. And, you know, sometimes we've talked about on this podcast before with brands of starting small and not going for the big retailers, you know, to kind of create that leverage and and that turnover before moving forward into something bigger. So, yeah. And also yeah. on that too, that I, um, I actually, if I could go back, I think I would take more direct accounts if I could before, and maybe with small distributors, like you said, so maybe a small distributor 
do some like local accounts. And then maybe you get, you know, high V for us as a direct account. That's great. Or if you can get target, we recently just got 200 target stores. Like that's a direct account. That's great. Um, so you could, you can go bigger, but it's almost easier if it's a direct account because you can understand your costs a little bit easier and the margins can typically help, um, be more of a win-win for both, right? Win-win for target, win-win for us. Um, so that's something else too. I think if I could go back instead of getting in with the big distributors right away, I think I would get more direct accounts first where I can really more clearly see um, wh what the different costs are and build up those accounts and get some profitability that way. And then go in with the major distributors like UNFI and Kehi. Mm. Yeah, great insight. That's, that's so, that's so good. So that leads kind of to the next question. Um, what, what advice would you get or what, what mistakes would you tell our audience to avoid when entering the re U S retail market? And you only you have you can only pick two or three because I know, you know it's it's a bumpy road for everybody you know and you know and you don't know what you don't know you don't know right? what you don't know and you know what here's the thing you're gonna make mistakes I think that's yes. one of the things to remember you will make mistakes no matter how much you've done your research, how informed you are, how experienced you are. And I wasn't experienced. That's part of this. But um, yeah, I could talk for an hour about this. Probably we've made a ton of mistakes and we're still making mistakes and we'll, we're still learning from them. And the important thing is that you have your eyes wide open. You're willing to see the mistakes you're making. You're willing to see where the problems are and then course correct. So what are we doing that is working and how do we do more of that? <laughs> What are we doing that's not working or what accounts are we not doing well with? Where are we, do we not have good sales velocity um, and why? And then how do we either course correct or learn from that and not go into those types of accounts in the future? But I think, yeah, mistakes I've made. Oh my goodness. I think that um, part of, we have to be careful not to take on too much too fast because I think in the past when I did that, what happened was some balls dropped, you know? So then my communication with those retailers might not have been as good. So then the types of things that were happening were, you know, we'd poor shelf placement. We didn't have enough promotion set up. And sometimes, you know, maybe we weren't moving as well. And I thought, I thought we were doing okay, but then sometimes you don't find out until it's too late. So that's another thing that don't just assume you're doing fine because you've like set up some promos make sure you're doing fine. Like get the buyer on the phone, go in, talk to the managers, get the data in any way you need to get it, whether it's um, through the buyers, whether you're buying spins reports, which a lot of early emerging brands can't afford to, but, you know, just get the data however you need to. Um, and don't, you know, assume that, that things are fine because you just have like promotions and stuff set up. So, um, yeah, because I think we haven't lost a lot of accounts, but we've lost a few. And in both cases, it was because we weren't moving as well as I thought. And then they kind of just will say, um, oh, by the way, we're not ordering anymore. And then you go, whoa, 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 wait, we want to help. No, 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 we'll do demos. And, and for us, this happened during COVID. So that's an extra barrier, right? There was sure. a lot going on. We couldn't do demos and stuff. Um, but that aside, you know, it's kind of like too late. Once they say we're not ordering you anymore. Yeah, it's, it's done. They've already really decided. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a lot harder to get back into that account. Um, even if you've like made improvements and made changes, it just is like a little bit harder to get back in. So I would just say if that means you have to say no to a certain retailer or you say, you know what, 
I really am excited about this account. Can we be on your shelves in two months instead of this month? You know, it's okay to do that. Um, so exciting to get new accounts. And mm. I am a yes person. <laughs> like, mm. yes, let's keep going, you know? And um, it's hard to say no, but I've had to yeah. learn to be careful about, okay, if we're taking on this big account this month, this is where our focus has to be. These, This is where we have to spend our time communicating versus taking on multiple accounts in the same month. And then you're not able to really nurture the account the way you want to. Yeah. So here, here's what I think hear you saying, and it's so good. I want our audience to make sure they don't miss this, is you have to be proactive, not reactive, right? So you, yes, you know, working on your team, I know you were all about not, not just sell in, but sell through. And yes. also forging those relationships with those retailers. How are we doing? What can I do? How can we partner together? And not waiting to get the ugly call that says, I'm sorry, we're not ordering anymore. Because then, like you said, it's just too, it's too late. And yeah. uh, so anyway, it's, uh, that's just really good insight for our small emerging brands and something that you know, we talk about a lot on the, on the podcast is being proactive, not reactive and about, it's all about sell through, not sell in. And you talked about the importance of velocity. And I think yeah. the other thing I want to highlight too, that you said is so good, Laura, is you can say no, right? You can say no to promotions and end caps and things that you just can't afford to do at this point. And it's okay to say no to distribution that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. I know you're, you know, mini Minnesota based brand. And so you've built out the Midwest and, you know, you've had opportunity, I know to expand like out on the West, yeah. but, but, you know, you're like, no, let's, let's wait, let's build, you know, yeah. our, our, our hub here, you know, in the Midwest, and then we can look at other regions. So I, it, it just speaks to how diligent you have to be um, as a, as a, as a, as a founder of a brand. I agree. And you yeah. know, for, for um, small brands who are just emerging and who probably are not very funded other than maybe just kind of bootstrapping, maybe some family friends, um, you're going to have to get creative too. You know, there's a lot of different levers that can be pulled promotions and caps. Those, those are part of it. But also, what can we do that doesn't cost money? How do we get a little scrappy and creative? How do we make friends with, you know, like Hy-Vee has dietitians, uh, Lunds and Byerly's have uh, foodies who are in charge of the demos. Like how, how can we connect with their social media? What might they be willing to do for us for free? Like even just asking, you know, we're a woman-owned business. Can you help us out? Or just like, yeah. we're struggling. We don't, we want to do more for your account, but we don't really have the budget to do it. Can we work together? You know, so don't be afraid to, to ask for stuff. Like, how can yeah. you help us help us help you? We really want to be a good partner. Um, and then also, you know, make sure you're as much as you can making the retailers feel good, you know, put, put, um, give them a highlight on your social media, um, you, you know, do different things like that, just to be a good, that good, like give and take, right. Like any good, healthy relationship. Yeah. Partner partnership. Exactly. Chris, anything, uh, anything to add there before we go on to the next question? I mean, I, I have a lot I, I, running through my head right now because I know when, when I started my company in gas stations, you know, it's like healthy food in a gas station. Like, you know, it was an uphill battle because sometimes, you know, in our industry as natural food brands is we don't work everywhere. 
the U.S. is so you've got the West Coast, which is super health conscious, you know, Colorado. But then there's parts of the U.S. where there's a lot of people that are not so health conscious. So it's knowing what's where do we belong right now? And, you know, that you can't change that consumer. But what I've found helpful is, like you were saying, is through social media um, and letting consumers know where the brand is, we're now here and they can go out and support it. And you can then drive traffic to these new locations that maybe don't have so many health conscious customers shopping there. Right. So yeah, it's, it's the wild west for sure. But I, I love what you're saying with that and the creativity and the honest transparency, because the truth is not the natural food industry. It's these emerging brands. That's the total of this industry that a, the big CPGs are buying up. So we don't have it all together. And I think asking for help is natural in, in they want to support that and being honest. And I think the American business way is to seem like we're big and we have it all together. But I think the transparency, like you're talking about is, is absolutely on point. Yeah. yeah. I love Laura's authenticity. Absolutely. So what mental checklists would you give to small emerging brands to go through before they're ready for retail? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or how, how did you know? And yeah. And maybe specifically too, Laura, how did you know you were ready? Yeah. Um, so our mission has always been to make eating well easier for all, including families with allergies and sensitivities and to make it as easy as possible to get the meals in their hands. So to do that, um, you know, a lot of people are ordering online. Yes, but we need to be present in every grocery store. That makes sense, right? To your point, Krista, but every um, grocery store where people are looking for us across the U.S. And so that's been our goal. Um, and we've been slowly, like you said, Tracy, kind of expanding from one region to the next to bring um, the product nationwide. So I always knew that that was a step we really wanted to take. We, um, to be ready for retail, I think, you know, on a very basic level, your packaging has to be ready. And that might sound like a no brainer, but we definitely were delivered pallets in the beginning that had, we used to do quinoa meals as well. And there was quinoa just falling all over the place. Like the packaging was not good. <laughs> so make sure you have, whether you're doing it yourself in a commercial kitchen of some kind, or if you're using a co-packer, first of all, make sure they have the proper equipment to do the packaging. Sometimes they'll say they do and they <laughs> don't. <laughs> and it's also very likely, depending on the size of your co-packer you start working with, but if you're very small and you start working with a smaller um, company, a smaller co-packer, um, you might know more about your type of packaging than they do. I mm. made the incorrect assumption in the beginning of thinking, well, they're, they've got to be a pro, right? Because they, they've got to know more than me about this. And it turned out that they didn't and things were not being done properly. And so I had to do a lot of research about boxes and pasta boxes and materials and things and glue and machines. And, and we figured it out. But again, very basic level is my packaging shelf ready to go. Not only is it beautiful, it's not falling apart. That's like basic level, but also is it eye catching? Does it have what my consumer you have? What is it like two seconds, Tracy? What is the stat or less? Yeah. And there's so many products in the grocery store and it's so noisy there. So 
does it have like the one most important word, fairly visible, big, whatever on the packaging so that your consumer can find it easily? Is it a color that stands out, you know? Um, and then is the photography beautiful? The photography has to be beautiful. I'm surprised sometimes with packaging, I see that I'm like, ooh, like that doesn't look very appetizing, <laughs> right? Like it has to look like mouthwatering, delicious on the packaging. Um, so that would be the first thing is packaging. Um, and then the next thing is, are we ready for this from a like team capacity? Um, and how many accounts are we going to take on with our team looking the way it is? So if, it, if you're by yourself, you know, maybe you can only take on a certain number of accounts. I don't know. What would be a good guideline? I'd say 50 or less. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of work to manage accounts and to really like nurture those. So if you're by yourself or you just have another co-founder, be a little careful about how big your idea of retail locations gets until you bring on more help like a broker or a sales manager. Um, so can, what can we handle as a team? And then um, financially, are we ready for this? Are our margins healthy enough? Um, and if they're not, do we have a really, really clear, like as we scale, the next time I order from, let's say for us, it would be our pasta maker, our spice supplier, our box supplier. I have those prices locked in at a lower rate with scale so that I know that my margins as a company are going to improve that as we order larger and larger amounts. Does that make sense? Yes, Sometimes absolutely. Buyers will say, oh yeah, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but it's good to have a really assertive conversation and, you know, um, Make, her, make yourself look big, kind of say, listen, we have a really big opportunity this year. This is what we're looking at. And we need to know that, you know, you're able, you're ready for it. And we really want to partner with you. And what are you able to do from a, do for us from a costing perspective and, you know, use those good negotiation skills and um, do everything you can to get your margins as healthy as they can possibly, possibly be. And some, because it's going to be a lot more expensive than you think. So um, packaging team finances. And then I love that you use the term mental checklist, because I think there is like, you have to get yourself mentally ready for this challenge. Mm -hmm. It is going to be exciting and it's going to be fun and it's going to be a roller coaster and it's going to be hard. Like, I think there are some brands, Tracy and Krista, tell me if you agree that are unicorns that just like do well. They just yeah. you put them on the shelf and they just sell like gangbusters and they just do great. And they didn't put really anything into marketing. They just take off. This does happen. Yeah. But for most brands, it does not. For most right. brands, Correct. you are like fighting for position and like struggling and you might lose some accounts here and there. And it feels like, oh my gosh, it's never enough. And, you know, so I just, I guess that would be the fourth thing is I would just say like the struggle is real and you're not alone in that. Like all of the other emerging brands are feeling that same struggle. And I think knowing that that is a piece of this is helpful mentally because otherwise what happens is people get into retail and they honestly can't handle the emotional stress mm -hmm. and kind of just burn out, right? Because it's like, it can be really sad if you lose an account or if you find out that 
your product just randomly gets discontinued or it's just not selling. And then it feels like, gosh, I put this thing in the world and nobody likes it. I mean, there's just so much meant, especially if you're the founder, um, that can come up and your fears get triggered and just all of the things. So mentally get yourself prepared, knowing that this is going to be a challenge that I'm like ready to take on and it's going to be hard and there's going to be things that work and there's going to be things that don't work. And I should probably call up that therapist I used to see because (laughs) I'm going to need to have a conversation with her very soon. (laughs) So like really, and, and I really mean that, like, I do think that mentally, you have to get yourself into a really good mindset and have, and also have some supportive, like you guys, like supportive founders and people in food around you that you can just vent to, and you can call up and be really transparent when things are not going well and be kind of have a sounding board there and have them help give you some ideas when you're struggling. So all of that, that mental aspect of getting into retail, I think is super important too. I love it. It's not for the faint of heart, is it? It's so, not. It's no. not. So you you really do. I love I love that you played on the um, the importance of a mental checklist as our question stated. Yeah. You have to be mentally strong, but I think the best the best advice you gave uh, so far is that um, you need a therapist. So there you go. To be in, <laughs> to be in the food business. <laughs> I still have my license as a marriage and family therapist. So if anybody just wants to do that, let me know. I can be really good sounding board. <laughs> We will get that to the at the end on how to get a hold of you, Laura. That that'll yeah, be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you may end up having more clients than you know. Oh my That's gosh. so funny. Well, you yeah. talked about uh, you know profitability and margin, which kind of leads into the next question. And I know you're in the midst of it right now, and that is yeah. raising raising money. So what? Yeah. Tell us a couple things that you've learned about um, what it takes to to get uh, some funds raised for your brand. Yeah. So. A couple things. I think it's it's great to just start early, like the day or even before you launched your brand, to just start meeting people, having conversations, networking. Um, go to some in-person events where you know um, investors are going to be, you know, that kind of thing. That being said, when it comes to raising, if you actually want to get a check written, um, you need to, first of all, find people who invest in food or CPG. So not not um not food tech not um maybe agriculture but not necessarily i'm talking like very classic they've invested in other cpg companies you know of right that's number one um if you're a woman-owned or minority-owned business make sure you find the groups that are investing in those as well because that can really help um but the other thing too is early stage I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that they're either saying, ah, we don't really invest in food or number two, like you have to be at 5 million in revenue or higher. And I'm like, ah, you know, so just trying to try to find your list of people who, you know, invest in early stage, like the stage that you're at and then invest in food and then spend your time there. Um, The other thing is though, even before I'm kind of talking about institutional investors, but before that, um, you can raise with friends, family, or angel investors. So that's that's really great too. Um, it's always been kind of hard for me to turn to friends and family. I feel kind of awkward and I know a lot of people do, but it's amazing. It's, I try to reframe it as, um, I'm sorry about that. I try to reframe it as like, I'm offering a gift, you know, because we're going to make this business do incredible things. And it's really a gift to allow people to get in the mix now, right. you know, while we're early yeah. stage. And then, 
hopefully, you know, we all get a beautiful payout someday. And by not offering that, that, that would be sad, actually, if my friends and family would miss out on that opportunity. Now, that being said, of course, there's risk. So it just has to, it has to be something that if you have some friends and family that are interested in getting on board and they have to be okay with the thought of never seeing that money again as well. So like just keeping it, um, keeping that conversation like light and um, as an opportunity, I think can be really helpful. Um, And then just know it's going to take a lot longer than you think. So don't wait until you absolutely need money to start raising because it takes many, 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 many months. And what happened to us is last summer, we um, tried to raise a certain amount and we were able to get a little less than half of that amount. So keep in mind, keep that in mind too, that um, maybe you say you're raising a little bit more knowing that you would accept a little less, but you would take more if you could get it, you know, kind of thing. So, um, and there's lots of, if anybody ever wanted to ask specifically about like the, our terms of the raise and how we did it and how we, I'm so happy to have that discussion because there's a lot of different ways it can be done and, um, everybody does it differently and it works, you know, one way for one person and a different way for a different person. So, um, yeah, I'm open to discussion on that too. That's great. In, great insight. Anything there to add, Krista? I'm just, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I'm imagining, you know, what is it like to run to the, you're at the end of the runway financially and what do you do? You know, like I, I know I've been like in that place so many times in my business and you're waiting for some sort of, I mean, I've never had investment, but you know, what do I do? You know, so you're right to start early. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what's been your greatest success in your career? And if you could just like at 30 seconds after this question, like any tip for mom CEOs, you have what, three kids, right? Yeah. Like, like, how are you doing it? You know, I watched Sarah Blakely on Instagram and I'm like, she's incredible, has built this empire and is so active in her children's lives. So I think that's, it's, it's a hard balance, but it's beautiful to watch. So what's your greatest success? And, and sorry, Tracy, I'm adding a, what's your Uh tip for Chris just throwing a curveball, an extra bonus question, but I love I love that question. I love it. It's important, yeah. It is. Um, so my greatest success, um, I have to name a couple things. So when I first launched All Clean Food, first of all, I all the fears and all the like, you know, what do you call it? Like the itty bitty shitty committee or whatever, like the the um like negative thoughts in your head were like (laughs) (laughs) yeah, do you like that? I love that. I've never heard that, but I love it. That is, that is, that's classic. I love it. It, I mean, and this is probably what anybody ever launching a business because it's like, are you sure you should be doing this? You don't really know what you're doing. Like all the imposter syndromes. And I was coming from mental health, like not even a business background. Right. So honestly, that led to a ton of anxiety. I was an anxious wreck when I launched All Clean Food. And so then I'm launching it and it's like, you need to go speak at this event and pitch at this event. I was an anxious mess. And so it's been a huge success for me to get past that, like that alone, you know, and just to get to the point where I really do feel confident talking about the business and really solid in our strategy and our business plan. I mean, and I just share that because I, I think that it, in the beginning, it's hard to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. But I want 
new founders to know that first of all, some of that is really normal and you're not the only one experiencing that. And if you can push through, like don't quit, keep going, keep awkwardly, anxiously presenting like I did. And eventually it'll start to get better and, you know, treat, take good care of your body, eat healthy food, use essential oils, take vitamins, (laughs) like really like take good care of your body and you'll, you'll get over the anxiety for sure. So that's felt like a huge success for me just personally. And as a leader, um, and then getting into target, that is a huge success for us because, um, when I first created these recipes in my kitchen, I was like, Oh, this product is like a target product all day long. That was literally what I said as soon as like I created the first recipe. And, and so to be accepted there, just feels really validating. And it feels like, gosh, we're really on our way, you know, and thing that's great about target is it creates a little bit of a FOMO feeling for some of the other big retailers. Like, Ooh, you're in target. Well, wait, maybe I do want to look at your brand. So really, um, kind of helps, uh, I don't just validate what you're doing and, and show that people are wanting what you're, what you're creating. So that's been a huge success too. And then you mentioned the mom piece. So I think that running a business and being a mom is challenging. And what is a gift about it is that we can't do as many things. So we have to prioritize. And that actually, to me, has ended up to be a really big gift. So I do feel like there's, you know, I'm oftentimes like trying to get to keep too much in the air. I have to pick like, shoot this or go to my, you know, kids field trip. Like it's really hard to make those choices. Um, and you know, when it comes to social media, like, I just feel like I can't be on it as much as, you know, I would probably be if I didn't have kids and I wasn't like driving back and forth from dance and doing all these different things. Um, but that means every day I have a list of like three to five things. Usually it's just three that I have to get done. And then there's all the other things in your email inbox and, you know, but what that allows me to do is then to continue to move forward really strategically because I have to prioritize. These are the three things I have to get done. Anything else is great, but that allows me to just keep what's really important, important and keep moving the business forward. Because sometimes too, um, we can focus on things that really don't matter that much and we shouldn't be spending our time on anyway, you know, and just focusing on like sales, key accounts, um, you know, anything that needs to happen with operations, um, the main aspects of the business, I think has actually been really helpful. Keep, keep the, keep the main thing, the main thing, main thing. And also I do try to involve the kids in it as much as I can. Cause they love it. They think it's cool. They love being tasters. Last night, my 11 year old helped me do like a cap cut thing so that I could do a, a little cooking video thing for Instagram. Uh, she's way better at it than I am. So <laughs> just, you know, just involving them like, Hey, you know, can you get involved in this business? Cause um, they take a lot of pride in it too. Family business. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Again, yeah. so authentic, Laura. I really great insight, especially for, uh, you know, moms or CEOs. So Thank that you. is awesome. It's mental well, health awareness. Yes. yes, I know. My favorite. And it's allergy awareness month too. It's my favorite. <laughs> month. Gotta throw that in there. I like yeah. it. I like it. Well, good. Well, Laura, uh, thanks so much for being on our podcast today. Tell people how um, they can get a hold of you. Yeah, you can find me at um, on LinkedIn, just Laura Memkin, which is M E E M K E N. Otherwise, my email is Laura at allcleanfood.com. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much. 
And um, I know our audience is going to really enjoy uh, this podcast. You had such wisdom and insight, uh, some great nuggets today. And also just encourage our audience to uh, follow us on our LinkedIn page, Road to Retail, also our YouTube page, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere where you uh, listen to podcasts, we are on there. So thank you again, Laura, and uh, our audience look forward to uh, hearing this uh, podcast soon. Thanks so much. Thanks.